1: okay this is later planted cauliflower this is fennel
2: i'm out with alan schreiber on his eltopia farm it's about 10 miles south of basin city it's a flat place here beat on by unrelenting sun irrigation sprinklers thwack thwack in a constant rhythm fighting the rays it's here that alan grows more than 300 different varieties of lush crops that includes asparagus 15 kinds of melons eggplant okra
1: Uh, broccoli cucumber and I said this is in farmers market this is all organic these are peppers
2: people take a lot of pride in what they grow in the Columbia Basin and Alan watched as Cody Easterday grew his farm and ranching empire he sometimes worked with the Easterday family and Alan told me that Easterday was a top-rate brand name their steerhead brand was emblazoned on fleets of semi-trucks iconic
1: You know, you ask if they're, you know, if I knew anything about, you know, any, you know, history of, uh, you know, suspicious behavior in their business dealings. It's like, no, not at all.
2: Alan told me if there were any negative feelings towards Cody or the Easter Days, it would have been a grudging envy of their success, jealousy over what they had built up.
1: I think they were widely and just widely considered to be exceptional farmers.
2: So why risk it all? Why did Cody Easterday risk his exceptional operation and the family reputation? Why make up a ghost cattle scheme? One thing is very clear. Cody racked up hundreds of millions of dollars of debt.
1: I think he got, he got into trouble with cattle futures and then had to do things to you know, cover up his losses.
2: They were kind of flying close to the sun, maybe.
1: Um, No, Cody was. You know, other family members weren't active participants in, in this. Cody was a bit of a Icarus that flew too close to the sun.
2: Sun, water, earth, things you can't control Farmers gamble every day to make a living off the land. This is a story about the risks they face and what they do to survive, and how Cody Easterday tried to game the system. It's a yarn about big risks and even bigger losses. This is Ghost Herd. I'm Anna King. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind a cup of coffee just a just a little just a little uh just a little shot. All right. <laughs> I'm sitting at the kitchen table of Olivia Grassel and her husband Stacy Niveton. A blue dotted tablecloth with sunflowers spreads out under our elbows. Okay. Is cream in it? Sugar? Uh no, just uh, just black and hearty would be fine. Good Norwegian farmer. <laughs> Olivia and Stacy live in a well-loved farmhouse. It's more than 100 years old. They bought this spread back in 2006 from an old farmer getting out. It's 1,300 acres of dry land and irrigated ranch north of Pasco in unincorporated Franklin County. Here they farm corn, wheat, and Timothy, some beans, sunflowers, peas, and alfalfa hay, People out here say all farming is risky. Whether it's a family farm like here with Stacy and Olivia, or a massive operation on the scale of the Easter Days, they all face the same challenges, like weather and hungry bugs. So every day is a big gamble.
3: You do it now. Now it's my turn? Okay.
2: They have two children, Adrian, 15, who was slow to get going this morning, and Emmett, 12, who gave her photographer a big tour of the farm outside. Both the boy and girl are expert cloggers. They took a class with their mother, Olivia, and after their mom asked a couple times, they slam on their shoes right outside the kitchen door. So with a young family, Olivia and Stacy have a lot riding on a profitable season. There we go. There was some and timing is everything when it comes to farming. When to plant, when to harvest. Getting fresh produce to a buyer on time can be a tricky balance. Their shelf life of, of it is, you've got to move it. That's when they need it.
3: And if you don't, they're going to find somewhere else to get it, which means you've got to figure out what to do with what they said they can't take anymore. So you talk about risk, that's always that's always the risk.
4: I can say is there's so many things out of your hand.
2: So in order to reduce the chances of failing, they become excellent planners. They look at the fertilizer they use, how they work the ground, even hiring on consultants for stuff like pests.
4: But all these cogs gotta fit in Mm-hmm. And the wheel's got to go through it, and one cog gets broken. <laughs> it messes up the plans.
2: One time in 2014, they had a really great crop of potatoes. They sold them to an overseas buyer. But at the ports all along the West Coast, the longshoremen were threatening to strike. The work slowdown lasted about a year. Ships were backed up. There was nothing Olivia or Stacy could do about it.
4: We couldn't get them shipped, and had had some rot rot in the ocean because of the extra time and transport
2: their special variety of fresh potatoes that were supposed to be made into potato chips just sat in a shipping container for too long the load rotted just a nasty pile of bad potatoes olivia and stacy lost the majority of their top money crop
4: you know i just felt responsible because what, what did we have five employees at the time mm-hmm. um you just feel like you're letting so many people down. It's not it's the money part's a big deal too, but then you just feel like you're letting
3: <laughs> yeah, everybody else down, telling them we can't we can't pay you. <laughs> and that makes you just feel wow, we failed. We failed a lot of people and we went back on our word and and I'm a very honest person and that god, oh, that just rubbed me bad. That just ugh.
2: Why did it, I mean, like, I I hate to belabor the point, but, like, why was that so hard?
3: Um, it's, it's about trust, and it's about this, your integrity is at stake, and, yeah, I can't, yeah, anyway. (sighs) (laughs) I didn't like that year. (laughs) I like that year
2: So when things went sideways Olivia needed to scramble And find some more stable ways To support their family That's when I went and got a job For the school district
3: Um, Just to To feel like I was Helping work through this Somehow Whether it be just Getting Having another source of income to start coming in to
2: keep myself busy. This one bad potato deal nearly took them down. There is one way that farmers and ranchers try to hedge against these farm ending kinds of losses. It's known as the futures market. It's a bit tricky, but stick with me here. It's important to understand how the futures market works, to understand how Cody got himself in to so much trouble. So let's say you're a farmer and you're about to plant a field of corn. The price for corn when you drop your seeds in the ground is $4.50 a pound, and you've got to buy fertilizer, diesel to plow up the ground and hire on labor But you're worried that when you go to sell that corn in five months, the price will drop lower, meaning you'd miss out on a bunch of money. So to protect yourself from that, you'd buy what's called a contract on the futures market. The futures market is sort of like the stock market, only with food.
0: They would would enter into those contracts because they worried about prices going down.
2: That's Eric Belasco. He's a professor of agricultural economics at Montana State University. So you are now ready to sell your grain. You've got tall stands of beautiful yellow corn all ready to harvest, but the price for corn is now only $4.20 a pound, meaning you won't get $4.50 for it like
0: you expected. They take the hit when they go to sell, right? They're selling for 30 cents less but you
2: have that original futures contract at $4.50 a pound. So you still get that higher market price.
0: And so, you know, that futures contract gain can then offset the losses when the, when the rancher goes to sell on the open market.
2: It's a basic risk management tool. You can use it for beef, corn, wheat, soybeans, pork belly, coffee, Even orange juice concentrate. If used properly, farmers really don't win big, but you don't really lose big either. The futures market is sort of like another way they have to ensure their operations harvest to harvest. Cody's wife Debbie wrote in court documents that feeding cattle is an art. Sometimes you do everything right, but you can still end up short. Cattle producers don't have the luxury of setting their own prices. Tyson and a few other mega corporations that control the flow of meat to the world market make the prices. So ranchers are price takers, not makers. So ranchers have to take the price at the moment the cattle are fat, even if they're losing money. What can help? The futures market. It's a way to protect their investment from the time the calf is small till it's ready for slaughter. Cody regularly traded commodities on the market to hedge the corn and other crops he was growing. Federal prosecutors described this commodity training in the early days as disciplined. A few years after building up his feedlot business, the cattle market took a downturn. Cody was facing big losses, and Debbie says he turned to the futures market to stop the bleed. Cody started making these trades with a broker over the phone. He also had his father, Gail, to help guide him. He would study the market and talk with industry professionals to make informed decisions on the trades. But there is also another way to use the futures market. And slowly, Cody started to take bigger and bigger risks.
0: There is a gray area between risk management and, um, and speculation,
2: Coming up after the break, Cody puts it all on the line and gambles with his farming empire.
5: At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as, number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for Soundside at noon and eight PM on KUOW, or anytime on the Soundside podcast.
2: As Cody was making these bigger and bigger bets on the futures market, he found an easier way to do that during all hours of the day. Cody got a smartphone app; he could do the trades with just the touch of his screen. He didn't need a broker. And being out on his own, he started speculating more heavily. Speculation means a person invests money hoping for a big positive outcome, but there's a real risk of loss. People who speculate on the futures market aren't necessarily farmers themselves. They may not even want to own any actual grain or beef, but they are people just looking to make money off the contracts. They try to buy futures contracts low, and then sell them when they are high and cash out the difference.
6: It's pretty obvious that this guy, he did do speculation.
2: This is Pete Smith, and that guy he's talking about is, of course, Cody. Pete is a longtime investment broker specializing in the futures market.
6: I've been a licensed futures broker since 1979, so I've been around the block.
2: We know Cody would make big speculative moves on the futures market. I mean, really big moves. But his actions went beyond just speculation. He was trying to manipulate the entire U.S. beef market all in his favor. In 2013, Cody started placing large orders in the beef futures market before the opening bell for trading that day. These orders were well above what the market rate for beef was at the time.
6: And when you do that, it shows up on these electronic screens all over the world. So anybody who's watching cattle prices would see that a bid well above what any previous bid had been in the marketplace.
2: The beef futures market is very thin, meaning it doesn't take much to manipulate the price. So placing an order like this would skyrocket the price of beef. But then 30 seconds or so before the opening bell, Cody would cancel that order. So he didn't have to pay. And that's when Cody would sell his cattle, and he would take advantage of that higher price.
6: Well, that's obviously being deceptive, because he apparently really had no intention of having those orders filled in the first place. And that's strictly against the rules.
2: In fact, Cody was fined by the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Business Conduct Committee For this move in 2015, and another couple of years later, in 2019, he was fined a total of $50,000. A little sting for Cody.
6: Just the fact that he would do that kind of thing implies to me, and there's no proof here, but implies to me that that kind of a person is likely to be doing other hanky-panky too.
2: Court documents from the prosecution say Cody grew obsessed with placing bets on his app. His wife describes finding Cody at all times of the day on his phone trading. She says she would wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes his phone would make a slot machine sound or a crashing glass sound indicating he'd made a gain or a loss. But he started racking up big losses with all the speculation. The first year he recorded losses was 2011. By his own account, he lost $14 million that year. In 2014, he lost $20 million. Once Cody Easterday kept losing more and more, he appeared to up the ante. In 2018, Cody lost nearly $59 million, but he kept doubling down. In 2019, he lost $30 million. In 2020, he lost another $34 million.
6: My guess is that a lot of these losses were indeed speculative losses, where they had nothing to do with actually hedging actual cattle.
2: In other words, Cody wasn't betting on real cattle. The losses were real. But still, when it came to speculating, Cody wasn't that successful. He kept on losing year after year. Eric Belasco says this isn't what you
0: generally see in these markets. It's not that easy to win, and it's really not that easy to like lose that that frequently either.
2: Eric told me that if Cody had just flipped a coin, he would have done better.
0: You know, there are years where you're gonna see big positive gains years where you're going to see big negative gains. Um, But really, you wouldn't expect to see kind of a consistent losing or a consistent winning of the market. Um, At least that's not what I've observed.
2: In fact, Eric even has his college students practice by placing real money on the futures market. And he says they even do better than Cody.
0: I have students who come up with ideas of how to speculate. And usually they're right about half the time. In this
2: case, Cody was right nearly none of the time. We can't say why Cody lost so big for so many years in a row. Bad luck? His wife says Cody's problem with trading started to cause problems in their marriage. Cody's wife says his behavior around trading went on for some time. Cody grew more irritable. He wouldn't go anywhere with a family. In a letter to the court, she wrote... I became concerned our marriage was failing. He didn't want to be around me or the kids. I would drag him to things, and he would complain that no one cared if he was there. It was a confusing time. Asking questions ended in a fight or a calm explanation of how he was managing it, and everything was fine. I complained to friends and confidants and was usually told Cody knows what he's doing. He's fine. But defense documents say Cody was spiraling out of control. He seemed to be determined to keep on making those big moves. When you think about Cody, do you feel like he had a gambling problem?
0: Uh, You know, I I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. Um, Maybe... um, you know, had, had perceived losses and is trying to win all those losses back with maybe one big bet. Maybe the bets get bigger and bigger over time. Um, I mean, that, that's definitely a, a psychological feature.
2: Well, in fact, we know that he did. In court documents, we learn that Cody claims he has a severe gambling disorder. His therapist wrote that Cody's personality is intense with ambition and a willingness to take risks and that he has a propensity for boredom when not stimulated. In total, Cody lost more than $200 million on the futures market. Cody's defense says he started his ghost herd scheme slowly. He needed a way to pay for all these losses on the futures market. Alan Schreiber says Cody's farming operation paid for itself.
1: You know, the amount of money he got, um, the amount of money he stole, I don't think really uh, supported the farm. It paid off these debts that
2: he had. His therapist said that he found himself chasing the losses and lying to himself that it would be okay to borrow from Tyson Foods. Borrowing or, you know, stealing from Tyson as the prosecution puts it. We reached out to Cody many times. We tried to talk to him. Over several months, we sent letters, texted, emailed. I even took my producer, Matt, and our photographer along for a letter drop on Cody's front porch, but we never heard back from him. Back on the farm with Stacy and Olivia, their palomino coated dog named DOG seems a bit suspicious of my microphone.
4: She just showed up one day and, and I don't know, we're suckers for puppies, so she stayed.
2: <laughs> Stacy and Olivia don't use the futures market to manage their risk. Not all farmers do. They prefer to manage things by not taking too many risks. And Stacy carefully manages the mix of crops they grow. So if one crop doesn't do well, then hopefully another one will be profitable. Farming is still a gamble. They're just hoping they'll come out on top for their family.
4: But I was reading an article about Warren Buffett, and he just says, do what you're good at. <laughs> Maybe I'm not going to make as much money as Warren Buffett, but uh, this is what I'm good at. So I, I stick with it. So. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
4: I, um
2: why do
4: you stick with it, Olivia?
3: Because <laughs> I married a
2: farmer. <laughs> on that bad potato year, Olivia and Stacy had to put a second mortgage on the farm to pay the debt. But they're working towards wiping it clean for their kids, Adrian and Emmett. They're trying to pay it back. Olivia says, so many people want the easy solution. They're looking to make money fast. They want it now.
3: They wanted it yesterday. um, And that impatience, it's, you can feel it everywhere you're with people. It's, I'm me first, I want it now. But out here, you're kind of, at the mercy of the weather and nature and time because growing stuff just takes time. And I think it feels like you have a lot more time when you're out here.
2: She says, Life goes by fast, but at least out here, you feel like you get a bit more of it than everyone else rushing around. And in a way, Olivia and Stacy are a bit of a rural allegory. They're good farmers, just doing what they can to stay afloat, earning a good reputation through sweat, smarts, and honesty. They didn't steal to balance the books. The books. That's the only place Cody's ghost cattle lived, penned in with fake invoices and paperwork. Now those mythic beasts are about to be discovered. He might have gotten away with it for longer if it weren't for something that none of us could avoid, COVID. It really it really does seem like a Greek tragedy or a Shakespearean tragedy. The Easter Day Empire is about to crash. This is Ghost Herd. I'm Anna King. Ghost Herd is a joint production of KUOW, Puget Sound Public Radio, and Northwest Public Broadcasting, both members of the NPR Network, a coalition of public media podcast makers. To support our work, contribute to KUOW, NWPB, or your local NPR station, and tell a friend or two about this podcast. It helps. Ghost Herd is produced by Matt Martin and me, Anna King, Whitney Henry Lester is our project manager. Jim Gates is our editor. Original music written and performed by James D. Kindle, recorded by Addison Schulberg, with additional musicians Roger Conley, Andy Steele, and Adam Lang. I'm your host, Anna King. If you have thoughts or questions about Ghost Heard, we're listening. Get in touch at kow.org slash feedback.
5: At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as, number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered, and two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast.